This podcast has been a production of the Geek Dad Podcast Network. If you've enjoyed this content, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash geekdad. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird! It's a plane! It's your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man! And just like that... The Watching Comics Podcast is back, where we are bringing you the most trusted takes and opinions on the intersection of comic book entertainment, hitting your screens, both big and small, because it's the 21st century, and watching comics is literally a thing. It's an exciting time to be alive. My name is Mitch, my co-host is Jake, and well... I'm particularly excited about this episode because this is where Jake and I get to play revisionist historians, where we get to try to correct some wrongs that have been done and place things back into the normal space-time continuum the way they ought to be. But before we get any further, Jake, how are you doing? Doing pretty well. Uh, you know, I'm in my happy place. I'm in my basement. Not your mom's basement. Not my mom's basement. Oh, I own this basement, suckers. <laughs> uh, that's right and it's just as full of video games and comic books and i mean i'm looking at a full shelf of board games so let's not pretend you know about what it isn't but it's mine we are geek dads so we 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 both held on to our geekery that we had as kids but it's very important to recognize that we've held on to that geekery while becoming somewhat functioning adults with families and homes and jobs and kids and stuff like that so that's a thing can I, can I actually, let's take a moment and I'm, can I take a stab at the geek dad thing for just a second and make a recommendation to any parent out there that maybe you're in a situation like me, you've got kids that are pretty cool. My kids are all right. They're all right. On a scale of one to 10. I mean, you know, it's a solid seven. Um, <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> no, my kids five are year, awesome. Five years from now, when your kids are listening to this and booking their first therapy appointment, you're going to say, wow, I did that. <laughs> Please, Mitch, this will not be what causes their first therapy appointment. Okay. Um, so, <laughs> no, um, but you know, anyone out there, maybe you're looking to help your kids dive a little deeper. My kids and I made a wonderful discovery, and it's not a new one, but I picked up on sale Lego Marvel superheroes for the Nintendo Switch. And uh, my son now has strong opinions about Modoc uh, as a villain. He is aware of who Atuma is and some real deep dive Marvel characters. And uh, it's been really cool to get to sit and explain these characters to him. And even a few of them have been deep enough dives that I've had to look it up myself. So I've learned some things. So I, I don't know if they're very easy games. If your kids are into video games and you want to share some comic booky stuff with them, that's there's a big old Venn diagram for geek parenting that overlaps on those games. I recommend it strongly. <laughs> that is absolutely fantastic. The cool component of your kid discovering super deep dive Marvel characters while seeing them through the prism of Lego orientation just seems perfect. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. My, I mean, my, we've got a room in our house that, you know, we were calling the office, but God help me, it's the Lego room. That's what it has become in the short time since we moved into this place. So. I, I don't know. I feel like a Lego room is an office. That's where you go to get creative work done. <laughs> I, that that makes sense to me. Um, my, my kids aren't quite old enough for something like that. And we don't play video games in my house, not because we're sure, making a yeah. statement, but just we're, I, I was never a video game guy growing up. So it just wasn't yeah. in my world. So we'll see. But my, my kids, uh, my oldest has definitely started discovering the concept of superheroes a little bit more. And it's led to some really fun discussions and some fun um, watching her play and imagine around the house, right? Like oh, man, she, yeah. she can, she can be Supergirl that flies now instead of just like a wild banshee that's running around the house that's pretty cool that's awesome man that's so much fun it is so there you go parenting it's a lot that's 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 really what this is oh boy it is yeah <laughs> anyway so um yeah watching comics podcast thank you so much for jumping on board with us listeners if you are a returning listener of course welcome back we love having you if you're a first-time listener guess what you have jumped on board just in time to get the meat of our x-men content booyah 
excited about that. Um, I don't know if the listeners have recognized this over the last few years or even in some of the online chatter we have on our Twitter, which is at Watch Comics Pod. That's comics with an X at Watch Comics Pod. But um, Jake especially is the keeper of an awful lot of X-Men knowledge, an awful lot of X-Men knowledge. So really, this is a long time coming. We're going to devote a whole month to the X-Men movies and the takes that surround them because we should. It's the right thing to do. So we're jumping on board with X2, X-Men United, for a couple of reasons. One, this movie's underappreciated. Two, we already covered the first X-Men movie a couple months back when it celebrated its 20th anniversary. So if you want to go back into our vault, not too terribly far, you'll be able to get that, and you can catch uh, Jake and I riffing on the awesomeness that is the first X-Men movie. But here, we're going to talk about the X-Men sequel, and really... I just want some space to be able to say that this movie is fan freaking tastic and I don't know why we forget about it as often as we do, but we'll get to that. Jake, you know how we like to start these things off. How about you go ahead and, and tell me and our listeners, what is your history with this movie and what is your like 30 second take on whether this movie is great, meh, or bad? The year was 2003 and a young Jake Owens was preparing to enter manhood. I was, man, I think I would have been, when, what time of 2003 did this come out? Uh, Do you it remember? Ha- it's got to be summer. I, I'll look it yeah, up. But it's got, well, it's got to be okay. summer. I think though, I think if it was summer, it was super early summer because I remember going to, um, I somehow, there was a glitch in the system and I got three study halls in the same semester in high school. And I was not yet the uh, overachieving, hardworking gentleman that I am today. And when I saw those three study halls, I ran the math, made sure I could still graduate and said, awesome. So <laughs> yes, that makes sense because it looks like it hit the United States in early May. So you would okay. have been, you would have been really close to being done with the school year. You did the math yep. and you're like doing it. I'm doing it. That's a, well, so that was the year that semester I had those three. I would have been a junior then, and I remember going to one of those study halls and talking about this movie the whole time because, you know, the rule was no talking, but if you've ever had a class that's run by a football coach that had an open block in his day, you know how closely the rules get followed. <laughs> oh my gosh, and- that is the most, rela- it's the most Midwestern <laughs> relatable thing ever. I mean, when he bothered to show up, he his only rule was don't bug him. And well, I know because he was he was working on some really important stuff to you know win that next yes. game in, in in the regional playoffs of a really subpar small high school subset of athletics. <laughs> That's exactly right. So so I remember talking about this movie crazy. I remember I remember my biggest takeaway with it being. Uh, Nightcrawler has always been one of my favorite X-Men and just gushing to everybody about, holy crap, did they get it right with Nightcrawler. Uh, Alan freaking coming. I love that man. I love him so much. So good. And, and just with my theater background and, and, and everything that he brings to that arena and everything, Alan coming is a wonderful specimen there. I, I just had to say that continue your story. No, I mean, so, I mean, that's really my history with it is just loving X-Men you know, it, it, at that point, I was starting to grow into, you know, and I think a lot of our listeners will identify with that, that realization that there's nothing wrong with you for being a huge nerd, and that there is a socially acceptable outlet for you in the world. And, uh, you know, I was kind of growing into that confidence of, you know, I'm me, and I like what I like, and everybody else can deal with that. And it turns out nobody really cared one way or another. You are beautiful. Yeah, that's exactly right. I had my, my awakening. Um, and so, so, wait, so, to, so this is this is your coming of age moment. X two. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's definitely on the list, you know. Um, but so, uh, you know, if you're asking me just a thirty second wrap up on this thing, you know, it felt like for the longest time this movie was always in the top five for comic book movies when those lists got made. And then one day, it's not like it dropped down the list. It just disappeared from all these lists, right? Like what happened? Where the heck did this movie go? Why did we all forget about how good it is? And why isn't it on anyone's list anymore? That is why we're here, Jake. Like, I don't, I don't know. It's, 
the baffling is the only word I can think of. I don't, I don't understand it. Um, spoiler alert for however long this episode ends up being. Um, we love this movie and we're mm-hmm. about to tell you why. And we're basically just going to say, Hey folks, give it a rewatch because if you're not including it on your top tier comic book movies list, it's because it's been a long time since you've rewatched it and you need a refresher because damn, does this one hold up? I, so I think, I mean, I'm going to dive right in here and say, I think part of it is that we're just oversaturated, right? We've got this embarrassment of riches with quality superhero films. And while some have, you know, been, been remembered and we've bronzed them and hung them up and they're, they're important and special, it's inevitable that some are going to slip through the cracks. And it's just stunning to me, though, that this was the one that slipped through the cracks. I wonder if there's something to be said, because it absolutely has. You're, you're, you're dead right. Like, I, I wonder if there's something to be said of, at least right now with where we're at in comic book movie properties, and mainly because we have 13 X-Men movies now, which is a lot. That's a lot. <laughs> um, but of wildly I, varying quality. That, that's what I was going to say, is I don't know if there is in the comic book arena uh, a series of movies that belong together that have higher highs and lower lows than the X-Men movies. Like if you, if you think yeah. about, um, okay, so I actually had to do this for screenagewasteland.com. I don't know if the article is going to be out by the time this episode drops, but it'll be on our Twitter whenever it does. I actually had to rank the X-Men movies for screenagewasteland.com and share some blurbs onto why I selected things the way I did. So you get to hear my thoughts quite a bit on this a little bit more if you follow us closely on the internet. But that being said, like you think about what I consider to be the top three of the X-Men movies, which is X2's number one, Deadpool's number two, the first X-Men movie is number three. Just those three movies alone like stand leaps and bounds above so many other IP driven types of movies, top three titles, right? Like, and I'm not just talking comic books, like anything, Planet of the Apes, Star Wars, anything like those top three are pound for pound, just as good, if not better than most. Right. And so you've got that at the top, at the top portion of it. And then at the bottom, you've got stuff like um, Dark Phoenix and um, Dark Phoenix part one, X3, X3. And then you've got like the origins movie. And then you've got the new mutants, which I haven't seen yet, but it got panned pretty poorly. Like, I don't know the highest highs and the lowest lows. Right. Did new mutants actually come out? Um, Yes, it did. That's um, that's a lame joke. I I am aware it came out. I just it, it I felt like that movie was scheduled to be released for like six years, and it, one day I just was like I did seriously though one day go oh how long has that been out? I think it'd been out a week or two when I saw. I think it. that one was one of the few casualties of the pandemic where it got to a point where there was so much hype about the project and it was on again, off again, on again, off again, then it was finally going to happen. And then the pandemic happened, right? It got to a point where if that movie wasn't going to be like black Panther level, good, (laughs) it was going to be, it was going to be disappointing no matter what, because there, there was just too much, too much impatience and anticipation around it for it to, to, to have succeeded unless it was darn near perfect. Um, I'm saying that as someone that hasn't seen it, but has read some reviews about people that have seen it. I don't know. Um, Anyway, X2. Yeah, Jake, this movie, I mean, okay. So let let me ask you this. I had two big questions I wanted to ask you as the resident X-Men expert in our corner of the internet, okay? Okay. So I've got two questions I really wanted to issue you. The first one is, is the reason... X2 is at least in the in the in the arena alone of just the X-Men movies. All right, let's just think about just the X-Men movies, 13 ones that we've been given. In that arena alone, is it possible X2 one of the reasons why this movie hits so well is because this is one of the best screen representations they've captured with one of the most um widely beloved stories of the comic book canon. I think that, okay, so I think that that plays both to its strength and its weakness, right? Because the reality is that the choices made in changing some of these characters, I understand why they were made, but, and I've said this on here before, as good as X2 is, there was an even better version buried in a more true adaptation 
interpretation of God loves man kills. And, and I don't mean that as a shot at the movie because I, I mean, I'm not in the room for the writing and the editing and all that. I, I'm sure all of this was discussed. So, you know, I, I'm well, not, we, I'm not here to like knock a classic. I'm just saying we didn't have our wealth and influence in 2003 at this point yet. We That's weren't exactly going to be, right. we weren't going to be allowed in that room yet. I had hair and no, me, me too. Yeah. <laughs> you had more than me, but I, um, <laughs> no, I, I think that, um, but all that to be said, I think part of why this one does so well, I think it accidentally tapped into the future a little bit because you see the MCU, for example, does a really good job of doing these loose adaptations where they take the concept from a comic book story, figure out what pieces of that are essential what are so necessary you couldn't get rid of them if you tried and then they translate them to the screen and then they build around it right you see this in uh, Thor Ragnarok is a great example of grabbing a couple of different storylines from the comics and just kind of you know like I said grabbing those the spirit of it and then melding it into something new and better um and and I think that X2 kind of did that because it took God Loves Man Kills and it did while I would argue there's still a better movie to be made with a direct adaptation, it did adapt it, grab what needed to be there, leave some things out. And we kind of saw the future without realizing it in the way that they handled this. So I think that having that, that true North that they didn't have in many of the other X-Men films helped a lot, right? Mm. Yeah, that's my speculation on it. I was all over the place there, but that, that's kind of what I'm thinking. <laughs> well, that's fair, but it's 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 a big it's a big thing to try to tackle, right? That it's it's the it's the conversation that doesn't ever really have a clear answer, but also never stops ever. It, it, the concept of well, like, okay, when we're when we're when we're talking about comic book movies, where where is the line of the um, amount of creative license we're allowed to take and, yeah. and and what do we consider sacred in terms of the inspiring materials when we encounter the the newly um, conjured stuff on our screens like that's that's the conversation that's never going to stop we're always going to be having it and we're always going to land differently on the spectrum depending on how we felt about the movie or how we felt about the characters before we watched them I think that's really well said. What I what I also really appreciate about X2 is um, we kind of mentioned this concept when we talked about the first two episodes of WandaVision, but like X2, one of the reasons I think this movie has held up since 2003 so well is here we are at the end of the first three phases of the MCU and we've made it through quite a few um, DCEU installments, whether they be good, bad, or whatever. Um, we've seen a lot in that time, right? A lot. And here we are. I dare say X2 is still one of the best installments we have of actual real character development and nuance with characters on screen. Like it's not just big set pieces and moving connected storylines along. Like we actually see Logan grow. We really, really get to see a deeper look into um, Professor X and Magneto quite a bit in this capacity, especially since this was before we were given first class. But um I don't know when it comes to just sheer character writing and living with these familiar characters in a newly unfamiliar way that it was at the time and still getting the full entertainment spectacle. I think X2 is still one of the best at giving us both of those things at the same time. And I'm saying that after we've been given all of the Avengers, everything, do you think that's fair to say? Yeah, I absolutely think it is. I'm just, I'm just going to leave it there, you know? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what I, that's ultimately what makes this movie interesting to me, at least is the fact that we, we get this story, we get the set pieces, and then we also get to grow with the characters a little bit. I'm right there with it. So um, I'm not going to ask my second big question for you until a little bit later in the show. Cause it's kind of a better for a Ooh. closer, better for a closer, I think, but Jake, give me a couple things that worked and a couple things that didn't work about this movie for you. Uh, you know, we already talked about Nightcrawler, so I'll, I'll walk away from that. I kind of want to broaden it actually. And, and just say the action 
Uh, I mean, the action is so on point with this movie. And whether it's Wolverine eviscerating dudes in the most PG-13 way possible in the mansion, or it's, uh, it's you know, oh man, Lady Deathstrike brought in and done so well. Uh, just a really cool scene with their fight and, uh, you know, Nightcrawler stuff. All I mean, the action is just so good in it. And you don't get any moments like, you know, the anticlimactic storm's going to zap Toad with a lightning bolt kind of stuff. <laughs> um, you get actual fights, and they don't, it's not all over the place in your face screaming it at you, though, right? Like, it understands less is more sometimes, and when those fights happen, they're so perfect. Um, now, and I think... I love the action. And, and, and almost every single one of these in the movie, I think, is also... Um, necessary to moving the plot forward. Yes, and that's wow, part that's of what, so good. And that's part of what makes this concept of the X Men are united in this story, even though they're still divided. So interesting, right? Like even if it's just Pyro blowing up the cop cars outside of um, Bobby's house. You know, like that, that in a vacuum can sometimes be just kind of like a throwaway thing or like, oh, it's been 10 pages in the script. We need another action sequence. But like they found a way to tie that directly into not just Bobby's familial development and Bobby's character development, but also allow that moment to be um, very illuminating for the divisions that are still present within the X-Men of the, the Magneto versus the Professor X camp. Like the character development and the plot development in just that one kind of throwaway moment alone alone is indicative of all of the action sequences in the movie where every single almost every single one of them carries a greater purpose beyond just the beats of the story as well as still giving you that high octane entertainment value at the same time as we've seen with the dozens of movies we've had since then that is much harder to do than it is to say and so i think that's another reason why this movie stands above so many others mm, well said what works is Magneto and oh, uh, yes. you know, yes, yes, yes. Works, but you know, and, and I love, I love Patrick Stewart and I love him in that role, but taking him off the table for most of the movie, I didn't realize this. So this was probably the first time I watched this movie in a solid 12 years confession. Yeah. Um, Professor X is not in, he's in the movie for like 20 minutes. Yeah. Very little. I you know, he's, I should have clocked it. I didn't clock it, but you're absolutely right. It's minimal considering that he's Charles friggin' Xavier. Well, that's just, he's more of a MacGuffin than he is a character is interesting to me. Um, but but taking him out of the equation, making Magneto go look for Charles, brilliant. I mean, what a masterstroke. Of an incredible, an oh incredible turn for the script. And, and, and the thing is, is too, is I was, I was thinking about this as you were talking earlier, like, yes, this is a Logan movie. But again, from the character development angle and from the concept of actually earning the type of emotional tension that we're supposed to have. This is just as much a Magneto movie as it is a Wolverine movie. Oh, absolutely. I, I would, I would dare say that Magneto is the star of this film. Uh, if there is one and there's not, you know, it's an ensemble thing and Hugh Jackman got top billing. I get that. But I dare say that if you're asking me who wins the movie, I know is one of our questions we like to talk about, expect me to come back around to Magneto. Because Absolutely. It, it's just, it's such a masterstroke. And at a time where the public was, the thing is like for me, for Magneto to jump on board and help the good guys was not stunning in 2003. But for the general public who had not grown up on the animated series and gone back and found the comics that inspired it, et cetera, et cetera, that was probably shocking that the villain from the first movie is really kind of heroic. But then also to show the nuance of, sure, he loves his friend Charles, he wants to help him, but also he knows at their age that that bridge is well burnt. So, hey, I've got a shot at killing all the humans. Why not take it? And <laughs> it's just, it's such a perfect Magneto and Xavier moment. And why when X-Men is done right, it speaks to the legacy and, and, and continual evergreen nature of the X-Men, right? Like they're, they're, the team up aspect 
in this arena is different than the Justice League or Avengers, where Justice League and Avengers is more about the concept of like, what if we got our heroes to team up? That'd be so cool, right? I know that's an oversimplification, but it's like, we're, we're going to do a team up thing. Whereas X-Men, it, it's, it's not about teaming up. It's about survival. It's about, um, it's about exclusionary philosophies with humanity. It's about a social commentary and it's about the tribalism that comes with knowing you belong to a certain type of people that are beautiful and perfect as they are, but other people don't realize that they are beautiful and perfect as they are. Right. There is so much richness there rooted into the concept of it, that it's Magneto's um, dichotomy here in this movie is so interesting because it's that concept of like, we know what Magneto's allegiance is. We know what he is about. We know what he wants to do. But at the end of the day, in this particular movie, in this particular story, he also recognizes the greater good is much more important than anything else in that particular moment. And there is still a unifying quality in that. You don't have that with um, the Avengers. And I'm not saying that the Avengers is weak. It's not. I mean, I think Infinity War is yeah. a top tier comic book movie, but at the same time, that's very much just like, hey, can we get Tony Stark and Steve Rogers on the same team? And they'll argue a little bit, right? Whereas X-Men is much more about the concept of like, we humans are very imperfect and we have done a very good job of especially the privileged ones of us of treating other ones badly. And X-Men eats at the intersection of championing the underdog and the underappreciated and trying to push towards advocacy and representation. This movie speaks to that and it carries that greater weight to the team up aspect. And so I think that's another reason why this movie seems to linger for all the right reasons. Well, and it, and Ian McKellen, you know, I'd be remiss if I did take one more chance to just talk about, he sells it so well. And in just his, his face, his voice tone, the way he's so different when interacting with X-Men who are his enemies as opposed to humans that are his enemy in a different way. Mm. He, you get this vibe that, and it's, it's shown not said, which like I've always said on here, I love so much. You get this vibe that he genuinely views the X-Men as wayward children that he needs to correct. And like they need his help he, he pities them, I feel like, as opposed to his just pure unholy hatred for the humans around him. Well, because he, he sees them as not necessarily being noble, but going about it the hard way. Yeah. And, he, think, yeah. and, he, and, he, and, 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 and he sees that that is so much more laborious and tedious and ultimately will have them, in his mind, have them end up where he's at anyway. Right. Cause that's, that's what he did. That's yes. what happened to him. He, he tried the noble route. He's trying route. to help them skip a step. Yeah. That He's like, don't, don't go the noble point. route because you're going to end up here anyway. So let's just do this now. I know that that's again, an oversimplification, but I feel like that's a fair statement to say. Oh, that's so good. That's such a great analysis of it. Um, yeah, man. I, I mean, that's what I think really works about it. And there's, there's so much that works about it. Um, you know, removing Cyclops for the bulk of the film Fantastic. Well Thank done. you. Thank you for that. We don't we don't need <laughs> more Cyclops. That's pretending. not a shot at James Marsden. James Marsden is a very talented performer, yes. very versatile, got a storied career. All shout out and respect to him. Scott Summers is not the leader of the X-Men, nor do we need him to be the leader of the X-Men. I almost swore about Cyclops. So yeah. I <laughs> can, can I if you if you don't follow our Twitter or my Twitter or whatever, take a look. There's a picture. What is going on with that tie when they're at the museum at the beginning and he tucked his tie into his freaking pants, man? Like, what's happening there? Was that a style in the early 2000s that I missed out on? If it was, it was only a style for people that grew up at the Yacht Club because I never saw okay, it. Okay, thank and, you. And the thing is, is the guy just... I don't know. And this speaks to Marsden's performance of the character. Cause I think he understands the character, which is Scott Summers is kind of an entitled like jerk, right? Like I'm not, I'm not interested in his character arc. If at the end of the day, he's still going to seem to me to be like the kind of guy that pops the collars on his polo shirts. Exactly. And you want to just shake him and be like, you're a friggin' orphan, man. 
you know? <laughs> wow. Like, wow. What is your deal? What's your deal? Why can't you be more relatable? You've got a tragic backstory and everything, but you still manage to be freaking Scott Summers. And the man tucks his tie in and he's, walks around like that's a thing people should he's, do. He's the, frat guy, he's the frat guy, third generation legacy admission to that storied college dude with the Thank red you. solo cup and the popped collar. I, if that offends any of our listeners, I don't know if I apologize, then maybe you stop listening. <laughs> I don't know, but that's what he is, right? Scott Summers is the guy that hazed the freshman and then acted like he was on their side the whole time. That's who he is. Mm, absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. And, oh, and then he's, no the guy that sh- he's the guy that shows up at the reunion and was like, yeah, I inspired people. Come at me with your Brian Bendis Cyclops was right t-shirts. I'll, I'll, I'll throw down right now all of you on Twitter. <laughs> Let's do it. Okay. That okay. character sucks. <laughs> I'm so and glad. That's that- all there is to it. I'm so glad that we're dividing people on something that's not Zack Snyder. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So sidelining Cyclops, a uh, great choice and a precursor of things to come in X3, as it turns out. <laughs> My gosh. Well, there's a lot, a Is lot. Is it weird that X3. when you think about it, James Marsden's really only in one X-Men movie, right? Like he barely has two lines of dialogue in this thing. And then number three, he just storms off screen and gets nuked. Pretty much. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not complaining though. (laughs) Are you? Uh, I don't know. I mean, for all my, my whining and griping, it's hard to tell the X-Men story without Cyclops, truth be told. He's core. He's, he's core. Yeah. But you know, but we'll get, we'll get to this later in the month though. X, X3 lost its way. Oh, we're, it's coming everyone. So um, let me get us back on track a little bit. Get myself back on track. It's not your fault. Um, you ask me about things that do and don't work. I think that um, one thing that doesn't work, and this is tricky for me because I believe that Bobby speaking to his parents about being a mutant is one of the most heartfelt and just, I don't know, I love that scene. Like that's a touching scene for me. Um, I don't know why it's always just stuck out in my head as a fantastic scene. And yet, I really just, I think, it's not that, what's the actor's name? Is it Sean Ashmore plays Bobby? Um, mm-hmm. I, you know, the, I like the Sean guy from The guy from Animorphs. Thank you. You know, I'm not the only one who thinks of him that way. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, he was Jake in Animorphs. Thank you. Man, I'm, I feel like I'm going crazy, man. Like two out of three people I talked to don't even remember Animorphs was a thing, let alone that it got a TV show. Oh my gosh, Mitch. You don't understand. Like you just well, changed my week. You need you need to get more friends that like went to scholastic book fairs at their elementary school because animorphs but, were definitely a thing. Everyone around me was reading them when I was a kid, and once in a while I'd be like, "Yeah, it's like animorphs," and people are like, "What?" And I'm throw a it's, chair against the wall. <laughs> Maybe we missed the memo where there was something that went out that just said, "Hey, by the time you hit age sixteen, can you forget that animorphs were a thing?" I see. I wonder if the until this moment, I thought it was a vast joke being played on me that like my <laughs> wife was giving to people before I spoke to them. Like, hey, pretend you don't know what animorphs is. Um, so, if, so, but you know what though? I, I'm just gonna say this as somebody who has been a friend of your partners as long as I've been a friend of yours. I will say that it would be a very like that's within her element. Like she's capable of doing that and would do that if she wanted to. So I, I'm not throwing that out of the realm of possibility. Tell me I'm yeah, wrong. I, uh, no, you're not at all wrong. Um, <laughs> no, you're right on. Uh, I, here's the thing. It's not Sean Ashmore's fault. They just took one of my favorite X-Men in Iceman and said, we really need a cut and paste male love interest for rogue could we just create a generic early 2000s boy and make it a character can we can we take the a cw wet blanket boyfriend and just put him here for rogue they're they're like well you just what it was 2003 so they're probably like can you just watch trl for a week and then make that a person Uh, (laughs) watch trl and season four of dawson's creek you're gonna be good to go write about 16 lines of dialogue uh, he's going to alternately look up to and resent Wolverine. Done. Set. All right. We're good. Let's move on. 
Um, well, because the other thing that they did too was a disservice to the character of Rogue with that because Ice, yes. Iceman's character deserved better. But the other thing is too is they essentially just turned Iceman into the guy that was trying to get what he wanted out of Rogue, right? Like the, and, and, right. And I, and Thank I get, you. And I get that they're trying to, to display the tension of their relationship, but it, me watching it and especially as the father of daughters, like I'm just telling you, like yeah. I I'm telling you right now, all that relationship said to me on screen was he is forcing her into things that she's uncomfortable with. And yeah. I know, and that is probably not what they were aiming for, but it is certainly not what Rogue's character deserves and not what Iceman's character deserved to be leveled to. But, you know, here's the thing. I, I paused the movie the other night when I rewatched it and I said to my wife, I was like, Rogue has got to, ha- like, this is, this is kind of lazy writing because anybody who saw movie one knows that she's got to have PSD, PTSD about what happened to her boyfriend at the beginning of the first movie. And you talk and, about having like the concept of owning your body that has never been more yeah. important for an X-Men character than her, right? And then oh my gosh. the one big romantic moment that we were supposed to be like um, feeling with, like we're supposed to feel like, oh, it finally happened, like was when he kissed her against her will. Right. That's and not he's like, a, I don't mind. And I'm like, yeah, good. Cause I hope she kills you. Like, yeah, that's, yeah, right. And, and uh, let me just say this perfectly clear for anybody listening to this. Okay. This is a pro consent podcast. Okay. 100%. <laughs> for the love right. of God. We're 100% in favor of rogues gloves. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I just, yeah, you're exactly right. They, they really, it, it makes the character kind of skeezy. And it's, and, and here's the thing is, it, I've never, cons- I've always called him Bobby. He's never been Iceman to me. And he's never been Bobby Drake. He's always been Bobby from the movies. And it's just a totally different character. And that's, mm-hmm. it's not that. He even had this, he even had the gelled ski ramp hairstyle. Oh, gosh, right. Yeah. And Bobby Drake is just such a fascinating, complex. He's one of the most powerful mutants in existence, but he holds himself back. And, and an exploration of that psyche would make for such a great, great subplot in an X-Men film. Or a series. But instead, oh gosh, right? Like, but instead that's cool. We'll just, we'll do this thing. So. But, to, but to come back, I, I agree with everything you said, but to come back to your original point, which is the moment when he comes out to his parents, right? Yes. Like, and, and why that matters. So I wanna say they did a disservice to Rogue and Scott characters we we all agree on that by all i mean the two of us here um but i'm so glad that they left this moment in the script there because to me a moment like that is why x-men exists in the first place right x-men exists to not just be comic book iconography it exists to to help us understand that like representation matters these people exist and they are perfect as they are and they deserve better than what we've been giving them and and by by who do i mean by that i mean you know anybody that's been disenfranchised people in the lgbtqia community um people that are you know um that look live and believe differently than than you and i jake like those types of people that's why x-men exists and a moment like that is is emotionally poignant one because that's a moment where in a comic book movie, everything is steeped in some pretty deep realism. It's a moment where we're hopeful because we just want it to work out because damn it, he deserves to be loved by his family. And, 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 it, and he's not. And, and that's supposed to hurt. And the other thing is, is it's there to remind us that like X-Men is here to say that we comment on these things. And, and we, have to, we have to have a reckoning with these sorts of things. And so I don't want to get too terribly preachy or anything like that, but I, I do think if we're going to talk about X-Men, you have to talk about those components in some capacity. And I'm really grateful, as you said, Jake, that they kept that scene in this movie because that's such a core piece of the identity, I think. You know, here's why X-Men matters. And I don't use the word matter lightly when it comes to comic books because I understand, but the reason why gatekeeping in fandom is bad and why franchises like this are important is because, and and I'm not, not, the point of what I'm saying is I'm not trying to compare. I cannot with my life and everything I've been through by any means imagine what other groups of people have gone through. 
Absolutely. And I don't, I'm not We're, trying to lay claim to that. But at the same time, there's a universality to the story of feeling like an outsider. And there's a universality of feeling like a mutant. And, and in that common ground, there is room for conversations to begin. When, when people grow up, you know, and they're able to identify with, oh man, I, I feel like an outsider. I feel like nobody gets me. And then somebody who's totally different than them with a much harder life than them is able to say, yeah, that franchise speaks to me because I had to have that conversation with my parents. There's suddenly a common ground that didn't exist before. And that's something that, you know, fiction is so unimportant until it is important. And mm. that's, like and that. that's, that's one of those moments where suddenly there is that common ground. And this is why for me, I've always been baffled at the more toxic elements of, of fandom because for it's so it's so counterintuitive it's, to ev- yes to everything that most of these creators had envisioned for what they wanted for this arena <laughs> well and like you know the comic book store is a place where you know you can walk in and you find you know like let's not let's not mince words here there's usually a few guys in there that don't look like they're gonna click in a lot of other places and this is a space that should be everybody come in everybody's okay and when, when a couple of turds in the punch bowl tried to turn it into such an exclusive only us thing, like it makes my blood boil, man. I, I just say, you know, all that just to say, I, I don't want to, I don't want to preach either, but I do want to say, this is why X-Men is as revered as it is because, you know, and I'll say from experience as somebody who did not have those hard conversations growing up. I have, you know, that's been a middle ground where I've been able to come in and hear people say, you know, maybe you think you were an outsider, but with the barriers down, I can hear that in ways I didn't before. You know, they're like, you may think you were an outsider, but let me tell you what it's really like. But because we've got that common ground, we're having that dialogue. We're having those conversations and we're finding that mutuality. And, and it's so important, man. And I, it's just such an awesome thing. And you know, Sir Ian McKellen said a lot about this when he took the role of Magneto and why it mattered to him. And it's it's good stuff. And of all things for that scene to happen in this movie with that character is baffling to me, but it's such a good scene. And I'm so glad it's there. It's both a standout moment and a big question mark moment for everything you just <laughs> said. Like it doesn't, it's, part of me wants to say it doesn't make sense that we gave it to Bobby just because of what you did to that character. But at the same time, a movie like this needed that moment too. And the moment mostly stuck the landing, you know, like the, yeah. the, the betrayal stung enough in that moment to make us feel something. And at the end of the day, that's good. Um, it could have been better though. Sure. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, yeah, it's not on an Oscar reel for a reason, but um, it it remains a really cool moment that I've always really enjoyed. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So what about you? I've gone for a while on my turn here. What works and doesn't work for you? Um, Well, I wouldn't be keeping it on brand if I didn't at least mention the casting in some capacity, you know, me, I'm I'm a sucker for how are we pairing up talents with characters and how are they unfolding on the screen? That's a big deal for me. So with this particular movie, I just, um, I'm really grateful that we got Brian Cox and Alan Cumming in this movie for the characters that they were given. Um, Alan Cummings Nightcrawler was perfect with the real estate that they gave him. Clearly they wanted Nightcrawler to be in the movie, but not have him be in the spotlight particularly well, but because he's such a striking character and Alan Cumming is such a fantastic, um, gifted performer in multiple arenas that he was able to bring that to life and bring a certain level of kinetic energy that popped off the screen um, with what he was doing, not just with the way he looked, with what he was doing, even when he wasn't like given much to work with. Um, and, and that provided a really good linchpin for this movie. And then the other thing is Brian Cox's striker. Like this movie, this movie either sinks or swims based off of Ian McKellen and Brian Cox, as far as I'm concerned, because Cox is the um, other key piece that we have to completely believe in order for this movie to become what it became. 
because he is far too important to the storyline. He has far too much screen time, has far too much complication in his narrative that needs to become delight and has to, and, and, and so much nuance that needs to be unpacked in that while still earning the comic book status. In the hands of many other people, that performance isn't as good and doesn't carry the weight for the movie. And so Brian Cox, in many ways, is maybe the low-key MVP of this thing, even though McKellen probably wins the movie. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I, I think you're, you're spot on with all of that, yeah. Yeah, so I'm riding for Brian Cox. That's that's a big thing. Um, but the other the other bit of it is just I I love looking at this movie in a vacuum almost because I just, it's really tough to follow this up with X three. It's just really really tough. Yeah, and so I really kind of appreciate um, just the overall journey that we got in this movie right? The concept of, as you mentioned already, turning the tables where Magneto has to go and rescue Charles type of thing. Um, We're seeing everyone be united, but they're also divided at the same time. The commentary that we've mentioned of what are we doing with humanity, but also the ending of it all and, and seeing that Logan is completely torn with wanting to know who he is, but also recognizing what the right thing is to do. And those two things are not the same thing and how um, both open-ended, but not open-ended the ending was like, if you just think that the original trilogy actually stops with the first two movies, you know, exactly where Magneto's um, arc is headed and those that are following him. You know where Xavier's arc is headed and those that are following him. You know what Logan's continual struggle is going to be, but it gets enough closure on it to give you that chill on the back of your neck at the same time. It was, it was done very artistically to, to just give you enough there. Um, and so kind of in a sense, I love the journey that this movie gave us and the ending that the movie gave us, because in many ways, I kind of view it as the ending because the third movie is just such a severe drop off. Yeah, yeah. And I got to stop myself. We've got a week set aside for that one. But man, <laughs> it, you know, I remember the, the huge anticipation at seeing the signs that the Phoenix story was coming. And how, could you, how could you not anybody vaguely familiar with that was like i mean okay just on the surface before we knew what it was going to become we could applaud the bold swings they were taking right so the first x-men movie comes out at the beginning of the century and basically says there's not precedent for this but we're doing it anyway and it was fantastic then the second movie says we're going to take god loves man kills and we're going to put it on screen and it's going to be fantastic and it was. And then they said, and now we're going to follow it all up with the Phoenix narrative. And everyone just kind of went, holy crap, yes. Right? We were we were in. We were ready. It, I mean, and it, the thing is, like, there'd been so much trust earned, right? That mm. nobody, in hindsight, we should have been concerned. But at the time, there had been so much trust earned with those two moves that you're talking about with movies one and two that nobody stopped to say, boy, that Phoenix saga, it took a few years in the comics and it got pretty unwieldy and pretty crazy with some aliens and the Hellfire Club and a lot of stuff going on there. And they, but they, they took the two towers from Lord of the Rings approach, which is not to equate those two movies together, but which is basically just what if we put the Phoenix on screen and just had a really big battle sequence with the two sides just going at it for a little bit. Which says a lot about when this movie was made as much as anything else. Well, fair, Uh, fair. (laughs) Um, Man, and so it just, but I remember at the time, yeah, it speaks loudly to what you're saying that these movies had earned so much faith with the public that the question was not, will the Phoenix movie be good? The question was, how are they going to make it as good as we know it will be? Mm -hmm. Again, hindsight being 2020, oops. But (laughs) still better than Spider-Man three. Yeah, I think so. Holy crap, man. I've never sat down to have that hard talk. Uh, (laughs) Man, that'll be our worst episode ever one day. Uh, It would would certainly be depressing. Um, (laughs) It's just a lot of heavy drinking and moaning. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I, man, the Phoenix thing. Now I'm all hung up on what it could have been. Let me ask you this. Do you think, I agree with everything you said about the choices that Logan makes 
do you think this movie worked as a vehicle to further the mystery of Logan's identity? At the time, yes. Okay. S- seeing what came afterwards, they botched an opportunity. I feel like, and I, I have always felt a little bit like, and, and, and again, as far as Logan's character development, that worked out just fine, right? With the well, quest did, for his identity. Exactly. It was a core piece of the story, but it wasn't the only thing. Like, as we talked about before, this was just as much a Magneto movie and just as much a Stryker movie as it was a Logan movie, right? So, like, it, it, it didn't feel like we were watching a Logan plot device with a whole nother concept tagged along. Like it was, I, I think there was a balancing act to be had there, but um, I cut you off and I'm sorry, but like- No, you're the, fine, no. We got an awful lot of Wolverine after this movie. And a lot of that extra Wolverine we got was either needless or not as good. Well, and that's just, I, I wonder if the attempt to squeeze- the attempt to spread, not squeeze, but spread that story out across like five or six movies. What if the question had just been answered here a little more? Like, all you got to do is tweak a few lines of dialogue with Stryker and you can get most of the story, right? Mm-hmm. And we, because it just felt so anticlimactic to me at the time to have him be like, oh, well, I know everything about you because I'm in the military and I'm supposed to be like, whoa, military experiments. Well, duh. And it never felt like any kind of a revelation. It felt like the same not answers we'd been getting all along. And I, and it didn't move us any closer to a resolution. It did provide some great character development moments. And I guess for me, I don't mind that they talked about him having a mysterious past. I just wish it, it felt like I don't know. It just always felt to me like they thought they gave us answers that they didn't. And mm-hmm. I always was confused by them kind of being like, well, at least now we know some more about Logan. And I'm like, what? What do we know? I, I hadn't really thought about that too terribly much, but I think you could be onto something, especially in the light of knowing that could could they have saved us from maybe two of the movies that we got that maybe we didn't necessarily <laughs> need by just adding five more minutes into this movie? Well, and what we're really touching on is the ultimate quandary of the X-Men franchise from about 1975 on, and that is how much Logan is too much Logan? Because And the answer is you don't know until you've been given too much. Exactly. You're exactly right. You Logan don't, it's, is like clear liquor. Because <laughs> <laughs> how, much, how much is the right amount to eat at a buffet you don't know until you're one plate too deep? <laughs> Exactly right. Logan is the flavored vodka Chinese buffet of comic book characters. What was the you way? Will know when you start farting. <laughs> the more poetic. Oh my gosh, <laughs> I love that so much. The more poetic way to say it is what Morgan Freeman says in Million Dollar Baby when he's like, "Every fighter has a number of fights in him." And you don't know what that number is until you've already passed it, right? When you're in your last one and you're like, oh, my actual last one was the one before. <laughs> right. No, that's exact. And that's the thing is like, it's such a great character, right? I, no one, I, I'm looking at a Wolverine poster on my, well, not poster. I'm a, I'm a grown man. So it's like one of those metal sign things. Um, <laughs> I bought it. I bought it at Target. I didn't order it from Zazzle. It was a gift from my in-laws. Um, so I, uh, actually, I don't think that was, but the picture next to it was. Um, I, I, I love Wolverine. And he's one of, if not the best X-Men, okay? And, and anyone who says otherwise is just trying to be cool. But there's been points in history where Marvel Comics has been like, we've got the Wolverine solo comic. We've got the Wolverine Origins comic. He's in two of our three ongoing monthly team-up books. And in that third book, we're going to be exploring somebody that was also part of the Weapon X program that created Wolverine. And it's just, it's too much sometimes. And this movie- It's exactly what DC's doing right now with Joker. Oh, God, oh, don't. Dude, we can't go down this road. I know. I, I, that was, I just, <laughs> you did that on purpose, you I jerk. Wanted, I wanted um. to push the button. <laughs> but I'm, but, but also, exactly I'm not, right. Joker's I'm not another wrong. character. Yeah, yeah. No, you're not wrong at all. It's a similar thing. You've got to use these characters sparingly because they're mystery 
is part of their allure. And we know all of Wolverine's history now, so it's not as mysterious as it used to be, but it not they can't be overused, man. And this movie, it doesn't overuse Logan, but it's the beginning of that process in the films, right? Mm-hmm. And it leads us down the weird twisty road to getting Logan as the star of Days and Future Past instead of Kitty. And it, I, it's dude, just strangeness. I am, I am so ready to have that conversation because I am still so confused by everyone's love for that movie. Anyway, keep going. Yeah, we need to have that conversation because we're, we're going to hash a lot of stuff out that night. Um, anyway, I, I think that all that to say that this movie falls victim to exactly what we're talking about, where it doesn't know that it's had too much Logan. And it's not way too much, but it's a little too much, right? He didn't need... Yeah, a little too wrath. <laughs> I don't think, I just if, think that maybe if anybody gets that reference, tweet us and you will win a prize. I don't know oh, what the prize geez. is going to be, but please, Man, somebody tell me my you get that. undying love. I mentioned in my will, I don't know, but uh, <laughs> I just think that did we need Logan's origin to be part of it? You know, I'm not saying it drags the movie down, but at the same time, does it improve the movie? Would the movie have been just as good if Stryker were not tied to Logan's history? Man, that's that's the unanswerable question. It is, yeah. And I, I mean, at the end of the day, we're splitting hairs over something that's really freaking great, right? Okay, so, so now now that we know that it's really freaking great, let's let's transition to the big question, which is: Is X Two X Men United a top ten comic book movie of all time? Probably. Yes, it but is. Now I'm I'm running through in my head though, like. Yeah, yeah, I think it is. I've been thinking about this a lot for the last couple of weeks. We've been planning. Yeah, it has to be, right? Like it might even be top five. That, that's the thing. Okay, so here's the deal. Like we have been so ungracious towards this movie. It's only a 7.4 on IMDb, people. I for a movie know. this good. Okay, so we have we have done such a disservice to this movie. So I, I, I knew I wanted to ask that question when we got on this episode. And I've been thinking about it and thinking about it. And I've loved X2 from the first time I've seen it. So I knew personally, I've always had an affinity for this movie, but I've, it's weird because it's not part of the larger conversation because it didn't help connect all the dots to this really big zeitgeist defining moment because so many X-Men moments just fell flat. Like it doesn't have all of that either. It's, it feels weird to ask that question. Like it on a certain level of just like pure casual comic book movie fandom, it almost feels like an unfair question to ask because it's almost absurd, right? To be like, (laughs) is there an X-Men movie that's a top 10? You you know what I mean? But then you think about it and you think about X2 and what it really is and you truly appreciate this movie. And then you think about, okay, can I list realistically 10 comic book movies that I like better that are better made have better character development have better action sequences and do more for moving the industry along and for representation than this movie can i name 10 other movies from the comic book canon that do that and i jake i cannot i i I literally cannot in good conscience keep this movie out of the top 10 maybe top seven because i really think it's that good Yeah, I I mean, I'm sitting here and it comes back to that thing where it's like, we always want to judge something based on its own merits. We want to put it in its place in history and we want to consider, you know, when it came out and all of that. And I think that if you, if you, everything in a vacuum, everything being equal, yes, this is a top 10 movie. If you hold it up to the rest of the entertainment coming out in the early 2000s, if you consider how few great comic book movies had come out to this point. And if you consider that angle where maybe the loose adaptation of an existing comic was a huge strength that it stumbled onto and how it may have set the table for things to come, it might be even better than that, right? Like it might rank even higher when you put it in context. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Like that's, I, I'm so glad that this makes sense to you because it's made 
sense to me. And it's clear that that's not an overall consensus. And I'm not saying that it necessarily has to be, but this is a podcast, right? What are we, if we're not going to be making bold statements for the internet, but clearly the internet is divided on this particular issue, um, whether it's top 10 or not. But I I'm sitting here thinking like I, I was playing this game in my head the last couple of days and I keep trying to rename titles thinking I'm, I'm forgetting ones. And every time I come back to like that six, seven, eight, nine slot, and am having trouble not putting it in there. I think it's just franchise fatigue, and it's how many you know, like how how many swings can you miss before we stop remembering your hits, right? Mm-hmm. And and I I think that part of the problem is this came so early in the run of what the X Men films ultimately became, and that's not that the most recent ones are all garbage. But it is to say that garbage is a little more prevalent towards the end, if I can be kind of, you know, I, I just think that. And then well, and some of that, it is bought, is bought in loyalty. And I really don't mean yeah. that to sound as bad as it really does. But like, OK, the second Ant-Man movie made how much money at the box office? Like a ton. But yes. th- but like they knew it was going to make that much before they even released the movie. We all did. Right. So that almost had no bearing on whether Ant-Man and the Wasp was going to be great or not. It's a good, fun movie and definitely worth yeah. a rewatch. But like, you know, you know what I'm saying? No, I think that's a perfect point that that hadn't happened here yet with this movie. And this movie had to, and and again, not trying to knock Ant-Man, this movie had to stand on its own legs in a way that more recent MCU films don't have to. And some of those recent MCU films are higher in the top 10 than this movie, don't get me wrong. But they also benefit from about 20 films ahead of them building them something to stand on as far as an automatic audience. And this movie had to prove its its point and it had to prove it deserved a place at the table. Again, the more context you give it, the more impressive it is. Exactly. And it's still that good. Like I, I just rewatched well, it a few just... nights ago and it was still enthralling. Like I'm not, I'm not trying to make concessions for it because it came out in the early 2000s, kind of like what we do with the, the Raimi Spider-Man movies and be like, we have to understand the Silver Age type of stuff, yeah. right? Like I, I we don't didn't have do to that. explain away any campiness. Not, not a single bit. This, this movie is still exactly what it is. I, I think that the other thing that I've forgotten to mention to this point, and it was in my notes and I just... It just came back around to it. Um, you know, it's paced so well. And as I get older, I get grouchier about pacing in films. I'm less ready to sit through a three-hour movie if it's not going to earn it, right? Like, mm-hmm. I, I, man, I begrudge every minute past two hours that a film makes me sit through unless it earns it from me. Gosh, this and was this, a brisk 2.15. yes. And, yes. And even though it hopped around a lot, we felt completely rooted and grounded every time. Yes. It's not disjointed. It never drags. And when it's over, you don't realize how long it's been running for. I, I, I tell you, man, I'm really coming to appreciate pacing the farther into this podcast we get. And the more films I watch with a critical eye, the more I realize what a feat it is to pace a movie correctly. That's why, especially with some of these bigger efforts, it is such a big, big deal. I know we talked about this back when we talked about um, Infinity War, which is, I think, by leaps and bounds, the best Avengers movie, like the one with an Avengers word in the title. Um, and Infinity War the thing that made that so wonderful is that was a three hour experience with different galaxies, different worlds, dozens of different characters and a lot of disjointed storylines going on. And you never once felt confused or discombobulated. And like that maybe in and of itself is the single greatest thing the Russo brothers has ever captured. Like like you know how hard that is to do. X-Men two is a smaller edition of that. Right. Where it's basically saying we're taking all these pathways and we're going to show you where they are all going interdependent of each other. And we're going to do it in a capacity that all comes together at the end in a way that doesn't feel like it's been almost two and a half hours. And yet it all felt organic at the same time. And you're never confused. Like that is hard. That is really hard to do. Man, it's impressive. And look at how many great movies don't quite do it, right? Like how many amazing films that we adore and love do we say, it drags a little at this part. 
or any Netflix series. They're getting better, man. It's getting better. They are. It is absolutely getting better. But yeah. <laughs> okay. So if nothing else, we are here to kick off X-Men month by saying X2 X-Men United is definitively, as far as the Watching Comics podcast is concerned, a top 10 comic book movie. Full stop. Stamped seal of approval. Boom. There it is. Thank you so much, listeners, for jumping on board with us. As always, we would appreciate it. If you dug this episode, give us a rate and review on whatever pod platform you have found us on. It's a great way for other people to find us and to share the love. And if you do so, we promise to give you a lifetime supply of free high fives. It's a pretty good deal if you ask me. Um, but anyway, love the X-Men, love this discussion. We want to know what you think about X2 X-Men United. We've already started the chatter a little bit on our Twitter. Our Twitter is at watch comics pod. That's comics with an X at watch comics pod. And, uh, we think that this movie deserves more justice. We are here to ride for that. If, if we have found you, our people, let us know on the internet space and let us do the good work together because X2 is wonderful. And if you haven't watched it in a while, it's worth a rewatch. Check it out. It's on Disney Plus, I believe. So catch that there. Anyway, shout out to the Geek Dad Podcast Network, a wonderful place to call home. And next week, we will be coming at you with X-Men First class right jake yes that is i i'm actually pulling up our schedule right now to make sure even though we talked about it an hour ago yes x-men first class x-men first class we are going to be first in the class that is that is what we are doing it's going to happen i'm excited so yeah thank you so much listeners we will be coming at you next week with some more awesome stuff we'll talk to you later This podcast has been a production of the Geek Dad Podcast Network. If you've enjoyed this content, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash geekdad.